Our sermon text for this morning is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where he writes, Now if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is pointless, and your faith is pointless too. Then we are even guilty of giving false testimony about God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it were true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." Then it also applies, it also follows that those who fell asleep in Christ perished. If our hope in Christ applies only to this life, we are the most pitiful people of all. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came by a man, the resurrection of the dead also is going to come by a man. For as in Adam they all die, so also in Christ they will all be made alive. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear fellow saints, early in March, a Russian, and this is a real title, transhumanist and life extensionist named Alex Turchin published his plans on bringing people back to life. He said, all we need is a Dyson sphere, and then we can download everyone's memories into computers to be resurrected later on with a technological resurrection. And all we need for this Dyson sphere is hundreds of millions of miles of construction to build a sphere. A Dyson sphere that is hundreds and millions of miles around a star that we call the sun. And then we should have enough computing power to digitally resurrect people so that they can live inside of their computers like in the matrix. Now as someone who likes sci-fi, like Star Wars and Star Trek and Doctor Who, I give Turchin credit for being so creative with the sci-fi stuff. But still, when it comes to resurrection, I'm going to stick with the carpenter from Nazareth. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, his great resurrection chapter. But what if, what if Turchin really could build a Dyson sphere? What if there really could be a technological resurrection inside of our computers? But I look at you and I see disbelief on the eyes of every one of you. You, like me and like Paul, we're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ, his physical resurrection from the dead on the last day. We believe in the Son of God, the one who created the Son, and he brings about a real resurrection on the last day. And St. Paul proves it with a series of what if questions. He asks, what if Christ did not rise from the dead? But he offers some disturbing scenarios as answers. Paul begins, now, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. 
If the Corinthians want to believe that their fellow Christian Corinthians who have died are still in the grave and will not rise from the dead, then Paul says you must also believe that Jesus Christ is dead and in the grave. And if Christ is dead and in the grave, he's not much of a God, and he certainly is no Savior. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is pointless. The Bible makes the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus its central doctrine. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, you have just ripped out the central doctrine of Scripture and gutted it of its meaning. Then there is no point of having a church or a Lutheran elementary or a Lutheran high school or train men and women to be pastors and teachers or to do mission work. Then we might as well sell our two churches, get rid of our school, stop training pastors and teachers, and you can keep your hard-earned money because all of it is pointless. It is nothing. It is meaningless. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is pointless too. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our healer and our comforter and our savior. Who He blesses those who are poor and hungry and who weep and who are persecuted. We confess every Sunday that we believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead But Paul argues that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then your faith is meaningless. You have nothing to hold on to during difficult times or when you face death head on. You have no security in the life to come because there is no life to come. And therefore, you have no security in this life then we are even guilty of giving false testimony about God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it were true that the dead are not raised, we love to sing, Jesus Christ is risen today, this joyful Easter tide. I know that my Redeemer lives. But if Jesus is still dead, then there's no point in singing these joyful Easter hymns. We believe that at our baptism, we were connected with Christ's death and resurrection, but if Christ is still dead, then we are still in our sins. And then that means that all the pastor did to you all those years ago was get your head wet. We believe that Christ's crucified and resurrected bodies are connected with the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. But if Christ is still in his grave, then all you're receiving is a memorial meal of bread and wine. Then we are all liars, and we are perpetuating a lie, because Jesus Christ is a big, fat liar. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The comforting message of the Bible is that your sins have been forgiven. Your guilt has been removed. Your shame has been put on Jesus. But if Jesus is still dead and in his grave, then that means you are still in your sins. You're carrying around the weight of your guilt with you, and you have to deal with your own shame. 
And on top of that, all you have to look forward to is eternal destruction in hell. Then it also follows that those who fell asleep in Christ perished. And that means that our fellow believers who have gone before us, they are dead and they are in their graves and there is no hope of ever seeing them again. If our hope in Christ applies only to this life, we are the most pitiful people of all. Maybe you remember the A-team's B.A. Baracus, that his tagline was, I pity the fool. Well, St. Paul says that if Christ is still dead and in his grave, then why bother coming to church? Taking time out of your busy schedules to read the Bible. Why give your hard-earned money to support the ministry of our church and school? It's all pointless. He says everything is a lie. And if it's all a lie, then we are fools for believing it. St. Paul is the first century B.A. Baracus saying, I pity the fool if Christ is still dead. But then Paul makes a major shift in his discussion of the resurrection. He turns away from the tragic implications of what happens to people if there is no resurrection by emphatically stating, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. A few weeks ago, my daughter Miriam and her boyfriend Mark built us a garden uh, that's raised up. We can put five-gallon buckets of soil in it so that we can put peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers in those. And I say those because those are the only good-tasting vegetables there are. But those are also the vegetables that when you take the first fruits from them and you eat them, then you wait a couple of weeks and there's more tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers waiting for you. That is the rest of the harvest. And Paul says that Jesus Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection. And you and I and our fellow saints are the rest of the coming harvest. For since death came by a man, the resurrection of the dead also is going to come by a man. For as in Adam they all die, so in Christ they will all be made alive. This means that as you and I get older and hair starts falling out and the hair starts turning white as our bodies start becoming more and more decrepit and body parts start falling off or not working anymore, we begin getting closer and closer to death. And that all goes back to Adam and Adam's sin. And yet, Paul says that Jesus Christ is the second Adam who comes to reverse everything that the first Adam did, not to make it so that we are now youthful and we have our hair color back again and we have our health returning. No, he says that we will have perfect bodies in heaven. But that's only because Jesus Christ has paid for Adam's sin and all of us as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And therefore, Christ has paid for the sin and Jesus and his heavenly Father has accepted the payment and he proved that with the resurrection. Christ arose with a glorious body, no longer bruised and bloodied, but complete and perfect, no longer confined by time and space. 
And when he shall appear on that glorious morning to unlock our caskets, then we will rise from the dead. And then we will be like Jesus. All deafness will be gone. All blindness will disappear. All weakness in our arms and legs will vanish. Death no longer has any control over us because death is dead. Then we will sit at the Lamb's high feast, which will be the feast of victory. And all of this is possible because Jesus really did rise from the dead. So what does all of this mean for you? It means that because Jesus finished his Father's work, your life has worth. Because he was forsaken, you will never be abandoned. Because he was buried, you will be raised. Because he lives, you don't need to be afraid. Because he was raised, you can be strong. Because he has reached down to you, you don't have to work your way up to him. Because all of his promises are fulfilled in his death and resurrection, now you and I can have hope. Paul gives a detailed, rational argument of why Jesus had to rise from the dead because the what-ifs are too terrible to imagine. And notice that in Paul's argument, he doesn't say, Jesus probably rose from the dead, or he possibly rose, or maybe he rose. He says, in fact, Jesus rose from the dead. It is a fact, an undeniable fact, a real fact. So let the world laugh at us and let them try to make a mockery out of what we believe. The fact remains, the Easter tomb is empty. Jesus is leading a parade of his resurrected saints. He is pulling them out of death's clutches. And that means that the cemetery, which is a sad place to visit now, on that last day will be the place of life. And that's because when the women went to the tomb, they saw that it was empty. They spoke to the angel. They spoke to the risen Jesus. Peter and John, when they looked into the empty tomb, they saw the burial cloths neatly folded there because that proves that thieves did not steal Jesus' body. One wondered, one believed. The disciples that were on the way to Emmaus, they spoke with Jesus. They, they broke bread with him. Jesus appeared and spoke to Peter alone. The rest of the disciples saw Jesus behind locked doors in the upper room. They were able to listen to him, speak with him, eat fish with him, put their fingers into the nail holes in his hands and feet and their hands into his side. And this means that he really was alive. And that means for us that you and I don't have to wonder or worry about a what if of a Dyson sphere being built around the sun so that we can live inside of the matrix. No, We believe in a physical resurrection of the dead because the Jewish rabbi from Nazareth walked alive out of a Jerusalem tomb on Easter morning. Because he lives, we live too. Amen.